Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's really the message for today. And it's a safer start to this homily than in my first parish a couple of decades ago when I was a newbie. I, I tried another line from this gospel with a big smile, planning to humorously grab their attention. I began, you brood of vipers. But they were typical churchgoers. They were all sitting at the back, and I guess they didn't see the smile. It didn't go over too well. Here's the puzzling thing. It actually worked for John the Baptist, who wasn't famous for his smile. How did he get away with it? Now, I'm a bit envious of John the Baptist, not because of that. In high school, I really struggled with chemistry, and especially with my teacher making us memorize the periodic table. You know, I think it had a hundred elements at the time. And every week, it was another line of eight elements without forgetting the previous ones. Yet John the Baptist knew the periodic table perfectly. He didn't struggle with chemistry. In his day, there were thought to be only four elements, earth, air, wind, and fire. And he invokes them all in today's gospel. We'll see how in a few minutes when we catch up with him in the desert. Alas, to think what I had, might have become had I been in high school chemistry 2,000 years ago. John here shows us two starkly opposing attitudes. Two poles at the end of a huge spectrum. Amongst the throngs that are coming out, the gospel tells us, from Jerusalem and Judea into the stark wilderness to hear them. On one hand, Probably most of those people, it states, were confessing their sins and enthusiastically being baptized by him. At the other pole, some were confronted with, you brood of vipers. I want to ask you today, put yourself in the desert with the crowds. Where are you on this spectrum? There's perhaps no better time to consider this question than the season of Advent, the season of preparation to receive at Christmas the Christ child born in Bethlehem, because so much of our preparation is scrambling around, isn't it? Shopping to do the grocery list for the Christmas meal, decorating, planning events, figuring out how we're going to make it to the company Christmas party and all the other invites we receive and the invites we offer to family. And in all the busyness, how to get my ducks lined up. And all the anxiety that that can bring this season. And then we get to the grocery store to buy the turkey. And everything we see there reminds us of the higher cost of everything. And maybe at the long lineup at the checkout, we get impatient with the cashier instead of wishing him or her a great day. Or maybe we start even to get a little short with our loved ones and even impatient with ourselves. Believe me, I get it. I find myself this season feeling a bit overwhelmed just by all the preparations for Christmas in the parishes that need to be considered. 
Maybe even we can begin to look forward already at the beginning of Advent to the end of this Christmas season. I've had enough. I'm just too busy. I've lost the joy. I just want it to end. And so perhaps maybe we take some time to draw back and think about what I really hope somebody will put under the Christmas tree for me. Or just to think ahead of that, to that relaxing Christmas vacation, even if it's just a dream. But all of this, or any of it, can be holding you back from living the life. And it's not just the busyness, not even the frenetic activity or the distractions. In trying to get it all together and trying to organize it all and trying to avoid anxiety in the midst of it all and trying to keep the joy, it requires focus. And behind all this is self-focus. Me, my needs. I need to buy all this stuff, to plan all this stuff, to do all this stuff, and amidst of it all, to find peace of mind for me. When we stop to think about it, we probably see that our lives aren't supposed to be, aren't what they're meant to be, aren't what they're supposed to be. And into this, John the Baptist calls us to repent. Now, to our ears, repentance might sound like a dirty word coming from an obtuse desert monk weirdo, until we understand at least what's going on. First, why repent? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. And John tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees that brood of vipers that without true repentance, they're going to be like the tree chopped away and burnt because it doesn't bear fruit. John's calling us to repent of our self-focus in order that we refocus on the kingdom of God. And the, the word repent is actually, to me, a strange translation of a rather uh, straightforward Greek word in the Bible that literally means change of mind. Total change, perhaps, in your outlook. Definitely in your focus. And we rightly sometimes call that a change of heart, because in the Bible, the heart is the seat of the mind and the will, the willpower to do, to act, and the driving power of that, willpower, is love. Love, which is why we associate it with the heart, a change of heart. Knowing that Christian love isn't a feeling. Jesus' love, God's love, is willing the good of the other and doing it. Love in action looks like that. Back to John the Baptist, who unlike me, passed his high school chemistry. <coughs> so I'm going to borrow from him to teach you some ancient chemistry from the periodic table of his day with only four elements, which even I can remember. Earth, water, air, and fire. The understanding of the ancient philosophers was nothing is complete. Nothing is perfect. 
nothing was whole until those four elements could somehow be combined. In fact, the ancients' quest in philosophy was for, in Greek, harmonia, harmony, through wholeness, through perfect well-being. Imagine wholeness, justice and peace in a broken world, peace in the very depth of your soul, every pain and heartache is healed. That's wholeness. That's what the ancient ancients were wanting. John knows that in the creation story, it says that God created Adam from clay or earth, and that God named him Adam because Adam literally means, it translates as earth creature. We humans are, in the biblical understanding, essentially earth, element one. And water, element two, is added through John's baptism, but only for repentance, he declares. John can only bring people so far, two of the four elements, halfway perhaps, to well-being, to wholeness, half well. If people are flocking to him for that baptism into the desert, because they know the desert is the place where all attachments are eliminated, no distractions of city life, they're fleeing the shopping centers and the Christmas parties and the kids' hockey games and everything else, all the acrimony and pressures to, place, to a place, to the one place that allows a single focus. In fact, that's exactly why monasteries began. The whole monastic movement started in the very same desert in Palestine and spread to the Egyptian desert to manifest those whom we call today the Desert Fathers before expanding to men's and women's monasteries in Europe and eventually here in Montreal. These crowds flocking to John the Baptist wanted something more than they had. They desired harmony. They desired wholeness. And I'm guessing that each of us wants that in our life. To those who came to hear John in the desert, who wanted the same baptism, though, who but refused the change of heart, who were too, hard, too hardened in their self-focus, their self-interest in man maintaining their power and prestige and privilege. The religious leaders of the day, called the Sadducees and Pharisees, John calls them out, you brood of vipers not only for themselves, but because they were leading the people into the same hardness of heart. Repentance cuts to the heart, perhaps too closely. Now, John won't settle for half measures, a wee bit of repentance, changing, tweaking perhaps, because he knows it only brings us halfway to wholeness. Rather, in his humility, he points to Jesus saying, I'm unworthy to tie the thong of his sandals. Jesus, whom John assures will add the other two elements. He'll baptize with fire, element three, to burn off sins, to purify us. And then he'll add the fourth element, 
He'll baptize with the Spirit, John tells us, to make us whole. The Greek word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, means spirit. It's also the same word for wind and air, the fourth element. Think pneumatic tires, air-filled tires, or in French, simply pneu. Jesus will baptize we earth creatures with water, fire, and the Spirit, bringing us wholeness by Him, with Him, and in Him. Wholeness because He one-ups the philosophers. It's not just any air or wind. It's the Holy Spirit, God Himself. And so it gets better. In Isaiah, we hear not only of the gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit on the coming Christ and each of us in baptism, we hear also what this harmonia looks like because the Holy Spirit is perfect love. It's divine love. He is the love of God. And it looks like when the child shall play over the snake's hole in the ground, the lion will lie down with the lamb. And a little child shall lead them. What a beautiful image of harmony, of wholeness arriving to redeemed humanity. I've seen in Lebanon, actually, a massive ancient mosaic of this image, the scene from Isaiah, and just contemplating it brings a calm, a peacefulness. And wow, they shall not hurt, Isaiah tells us, or destroy on my holy mountain anymore. What a promise that will come with the little Christ child leading us, wholeness in being baptized into God. Because on one hand, self-focus blinds us to our potential, making the most of our God-given life. Living the life starts with turning our backs on our self-focus, repenting of it, changing towards striving to live into and give ourselves into his majestically peaceful kingdom of God on earth. During this Advent, if you prepare your hearts to refocus on the kingdom, to receive the Christ child born Prince of Peace, you'll discover that harmonia, that wholeness that he brings and the wholeness that you can then share into the world that desperately needs it. Advent is thus a time to prepare our hearts to celebrate the fullness of life so that we can live, live it. And I want to invite you every evening this week to do a spiritual exercise that comes from the Jesuits. It's very popular here in Montreal called the examen, to take five minutes sometimes bef sometime before you go to bed every evening this week to journey into the desert, as it were. When I do it, which is not often enough, despite how tired I might be when I get around to it, I find a true refreshment for the soul before sleeping. I'm going to do it tonight, and I'm going to do it every night this week, and let's do it individually yet together. 
this week as one people of God. And here it is in a nutshell, the five steps of the examen, and we're going to have it emailed out to you tomorrow. Step one, ask God for light. I want to look at my day with God's eyes, not merely my own. Step two, give thanks. The day I've just lived is a gift from God. Be grateful. Step three, review the day. I want to carefully look back on the day I've just completed, being guided by the Holy Spirit, who is love. And step four, face your shortcomings. I'm going to face up to what is wrong in my life and in me. These are the things I need to change. These are the things I need to repent of. And step five, look forward to the day to come in the expectation that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then ask God where I need him tomorrow. This Advent, refocus away from all the distractions on the coming peaceable kingdom of God. Go into the desert away from all the distractions to discover or rediscover the wholeness, the harmony that the Christ child promises to bring into your life, he whom we are preparing to celebrate at Christmas. Amen.